Welcome to the podcast Kenya. We are your hosts, Andy Davies, Clear Earnshaw and Leon Weche. We are here to discuss all things training, nutrition, health and mindset. We aim to share knowledge through our own experiences and by interviewing local and international experts in their field. Our goal is to provide education and empowerment. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, episode four, and today we are joined by Adula Vari Borman. Vari, welcome to the podcast, and we've been yeah we've been talking about this for a while, so it's it's so great to have you on here, and what well, I think such an interesting topic to discuss. Great, thank you, thank you, Claire. Um, yeah, it's been a while that we've been discussing this, um, and I'm just glad and delighted to be here. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was, was it sort of, when was it earlier this year, I think, that we, when you said you were talking about um, that you were, you were becoming a doula, and I just found that so interesting, because, I mean, I have a, a train with a lot of pre and postnatal clients, and I just, I'd like heard about doulas, but I, yeah, just was like, what are they? And I think that's a, a perfect sort of entry point, like, what is a doula? We had the doula when Kyle was born, so huh. already you? step up on you two. Right, yeah, you're, you're, you're ahead of the game there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess just diving straight into dive it. Dive in, um, dive in. Most of the time when I tell people that I'm a doula, they go, oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> so what kind of stones and metals do you work <laughs> with? And like, what, you, what kind of jewellery do you make? And I go, no, 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 I'm not a jeweller. I'm a doula with a, with a D at the yeah. beginning. It's literally, no one, no one knows what I'm talking about. Um, so I often actually introduce myself as a labor support specialist and childbirth educator, because then that kind of gets them in the realm of, of where I'm going. But basically, important to note that there are many different types of doulas. Um, there are birth doulas, there are prenatal doulas, there are fertility doulas, there are even some who deal with death. Um, so I am primarily a birth doula. And what that means is that I'm a trained but non-medical professional uh, to provide support in four kind of key areas for birth, and that's physical, emotional, advocacy, advocacy support, um, and informational support. And that's before, during, and shortly after birth. I look after that window. So I'm not a doctor. I'm not a midwife. I don't do cervical exams. I don't check umbilical cords, like nothing medical. I can't prescribe any fun drugs. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I think when you say like labor support specialist, people are like, ah, okay, that makes sense. As yeah. I, I can't remember what I thought a doula was. I mean, I knew it was related to birth and like a, someone who supports you through it. Um, but I didn't realize like there were so many different sort of types. And I guess some doulas, can they, I mean, can they de- deliver a baby or is that just not in doularism? Right, so it does happen, um, but it's not our primary mm-hmm. role. Um, you're you're going to get caught in a situation, and it's happened to just about every doula that I've spoken to, not me yet, um, where basically baby's coming, it's happening too fast, midwives are in chaos, nobody can get their gloves on quick enough, and you're already there in the sterile field. So you're going to have to catch a baby. 
bottom bottom line it's it's going to happen at some point but it's not our primary agenda and it's not something that we necessarily are always going to do is to catch that baby yeah and what made you want to be a doula well um yeah that's a, a great great question i mean there's a long story and there's a short story short story basically being that when i heard about what doulas do and who they are um, I had this like light bulb moment um, and just thought, this is, this is awesome. This is just, you know, these people are amazing and I want to be one of them. Um, the, the longer story, if you're interested in that, um, involves friends and lockdown and, and things like that. So I don't know how much detail you really want to go into here. Oh yeah, go into it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, well, like, like so many people um, during lockdown 2020, um, I was let go from my job pretty quickly. I think first week of, of March, like boom, like as soon as the, the writing was on the wall, um, I was let go from my job. Uh, um, I was scaling back anyway, as you know, I was supposed to get married in, in July of that year. And so there was a lot on my plate as it was. And so I was an easy person to let go. And as far as like a managerial decision goes, 100% support that. Um, so like so many people, I thought, well, I'd love to retrain and do something. I'm like, you know, use this time, but like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. There was like so much time. Um, so basically this is like a total U-turn. I used to be a graphic designer and worked in marketing. Um, and you think that graphic design and marketing is going to be this really fun, exciting, like realm. You're going to have really great clients and it's going to be super stimulating and creatively fulfilling. and in reality, it's a lot of busy work, and usually you get this client who's you know quite tricky, and they love whatever you do, and you meet the brief, and they love everything about it. But could you also just change everything about six times? Yeah, and no one really warns you about how how really really creatively draining that is. So I realized, you know, I just crashed and burned, and and like took that time off and realized I was completely burnt out. I had nothing creative to give. So I took the rest of 2020 just kind of resting and thinking and kind of coasting along. Um, and basically, at, uh, it was 20, end of 2020, a friend of mine from Tanzania um, called. She's having a baby, first baby. But she's, she's American. She has a really large family. And her, when she envisioned her birth, basically, she always thought that she would go back to the States where she would have sisters and her sisters-in-law and her mother and aunts and like this whole village of sort of women folk to carry her through this birth this was how she always envisioned it yeah and now she can't get to the states like that is not an option and so she's on the phone with me and she's really upset and she's talking about well i'm gonna have to go down to south africa and that means i'm gonna have to go when i'm at sort of 32 weeks and i'm gonna have to spend however long there and my partner can only join me on my due date so if baby comes early i'm alone if baby comes late I'm alone. I'm still going to have to be there by myself with that, with this baby, with no support network in an Airbnb. And I was like, whoa, come stay with us. That sounds insane. Don't do that. Come stay with us. And at this point, I hadn't even heard of what a doula was. No idea who these people were. So she comes to stay and she arrives literally with 15 kilos of luggage. She has like two onesies, a spare pair of knickers and a toothbrush. She has nothing. She's got all her baby stuff in Tanzania, but she couldn't fly with it all. So now I'm researching, like, you need car seats, and then there's this thing called Isofix, and then there's, like, the bottle warmers, and there's white warmers, and there's all this stuff for babies. 
and she had organized basically to have a doula. So I'm busy thinking about like all of this stuff for babies and she has this meeting on my veranda with her doula. And um, basically they're having this conversation about her, her baby at that point, she was 36 weeks, was lying in a transverse position. That basically just means horizontal. And you want baby vertical, ideally head down, um, but you, you can't birth the baby that's lying that way. It's not going to fit, right? We can yeah. all see that. So they're having this conversation about all these things that she can do, like different positions and different stretches and all these things that she can do that are within her power that are totally non-medical, but also can we find someone who could do a manual rotation and I'm sitting there like my mind is blown and they're also talking about like what she wants for her birth and her birth experience and what her perception of birth is and does she have any kind of fear around it and trauma and how to deal with trauma and how to avoid trauma and I'm just sitting there like my little mind exploded <laughs> complete mind blowing me like I got goosebumps the heads on my arms stood up and everything and everything that they were discussing was like this internal checklist that I didn't even know I had. Everything she was saying was like, yup, 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 like where do I sign up for this? Because until that point, if you had asked me about what I wanted for my birth, basically if you could mix up a baby in a petri dish and like stick it in a baggie like popcorn, chuck it in the microwave for three minutes, like maximum technological medical intervention, that's and then these women were talking about something completely different that didn't sound horrific, that didn't sound terrifying, that actually sounded really kind of amazing. Total mind-blowing moment. So that was my, my major aha moment right there, basically, this friend coming to stay. Yeah, that's amazing. And then, so how did you study to become a doula? Well, there's this great uh, initiative here. It's called the Elizabeth Project International, and they are very much associated with Lamar's International. So they rolled out basically a pioneer project very shortly after my friend gave birth um, to do an online training course in, in Lamar's practice. So that was for, for two different aspects, one for childbirth education, so that's all of your prenatal classes and all of your prep and one for labor support specialist. So that's who I'm trained through. Um, and that took a while. That was writing essays, that was doing research, that was uh, over Zoom, uh, doing conferences and followed by a little sort of um, exam. I've yet to take my final, final exam, but that takes about a year. So I'm on track for that. And then uh, I got pregnant. So that's got in the way. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think that's just adding to it. Now yeah. you'll have your, you know, your own unique experience. Experience, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, well, well, this is it. It's it's pretty unusual to have a doula become a doula before they had a baby. Yeah. <laughs> most most doulas kind of will have an experience, a personal experience that was a little bit traumatic or something that they they need to unpack. Realize that for the second birth, they want a different story. Yeah. Discover doulas and then go. Oh my god, I want to do this because this is so important. Um, whereas I kind of came at it from a totally different, yeah, having never ever had a baby before in my life. But I imagine that puts you in a nice position for your first birth, where you've got a very clear idea of what you, you want your birth plan to look like and what you want your birth to look 100%. like. 100%. Um, if I didn't know all the stuff that I know now, I'd be absolutely freaking out. Yeah. 100%. Like, I'd be a neurotic mess in terms of, like, what's about to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's 
that's so important just that sort of awareness around around birth and like you said like so many people come with just a no knowledge and b just fear because no one really talks about it i mean i would say now it's a bit better you know through social media i mean youtubers youtube their births which i think is quite great and um you know so there's a bit more but still it's this kind of painful kind of scary experience and you know just from you know other conversations we've had just knowing enough so that you can advocate for yourself which you know i feel is so important and you know so having a doula is i think such an incredible addition to your you're sort of, well, I don't know if you want to call the birth team. <laughs> um, and I mean, do you have a doula or are you, were you just? I have a doula. Okay. Um, which is, which is interesting because, uh, so she's doulaing me whilst I'm doulaing other people. Yeah. And so she wants to back me up as the doula, the professional. Yeah. Um, and we, we sort of bounce off each other to unpack because that's also another important thing as a doula. You need someone who understands what the work is like mm-hmm. to unpack that with. Um, yeah. You come up with different situations every time. I've had no two births have ever been the same. Um, so you need someone to bounce that off and you go sort of, oh, well, I wasn't sure about, you know, this situation. What would you have done? So she was there for me in a professional capacity, but then she was also like, I'm aware that you're 30 weeks pregnant. So as your doula, like, did you sit down? Have you drunk enough water? Are you taking the load off your feet? Like, all of this kind of stuff. Um, but yes, I will be having a doula. Yeah, no, I, well, I think that's like coaches. You know, coaches have coaches. You know, it's so mm-hmm. hard to do it for yourself. So if someone signed up with you, can you give us, like, a crash course of, like, what would what would happen both prenatal, during birth, and postnatal? Right, great, great question. Um, so it would really depend what they're, how much they're signing up for. Yeah. If they want to do classes with me, um, that would be kind of where we would start. And that could start literally anywhere from, hmm, I'd, I'd recommend 18 weeks, mm-hmm. um, just to have enough time to really absorb it and everything. But basically, if someone signs on with me, you can actually sign on with me before your 12-week window ends. Basically, as soon as you find out that you're, you're pregnant and you would like any kind of emotional support, you can reach out to me or any doula and tell them. Um, of course, there is that taboo window about the 12 weeks, um, mostly because that's your highest risk of loss. But do you want to do that by yourself? Yeah. So that's a service that I provide, whether you're going to sign on with me or not. You can reach out, tell someone that you're pregnant so that someone knows if something goes wrong with you. So there's there's really no no point when it starts or, or should start. Yeah. Mm. After that, let's say we've gotten through, everything's all right, you get to kind of 18 weeks, you can then do classes with me. And that's six sessions of about an hour to an hour and a half where we cover everything from what an episiotomy is to whether you want to shave your pubic area. There are no, no, like no holds barred. We discuss everything. There's also no wrong answers. Um, so basically my practice is client led. So it doesn't matter if you want a C-section. It doesn't matter if you want all the drugs, if you want none of the drugs, if you want to give birth at home. My job is actually to follow your lead and to advocate and support the birth that you're choosing. There is this kind of perception that if you want a more medicalized birth, then you can't have a doula. It's totally not true. I'm here for any kind of birth you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we would do those classes. Then assuming that 
if you haven't, you decide you don't want to do the classes, maybe you're a second time mom, maybe you feel pretty empowered, maybe you've done loads of research yourself, totally fine, you're pretty clear on your, your what you want, then you would still get in touch with me at around anywhere between 18 and 30 weeks. I get booked up very far in advance. Um, so the sooner the better as well. Um, but basically I would do a sit down, which is about an hour, an hour and a half, go over your birth plan. And that is a little checklist that I've designed mm. and it covers all of your various choices and it just lets me know what I'm advocating for. The advantage of the classes is that I would know that in more depth, but this checklist serves to just kind of fast track mm. us through that. Then basically I wait for your phone call. I find out what your, what your due date is and I take three weeks on either side and I block that off on my calendar. There might be a small overlap with another client because three weeks early is a little early, three weeks later is pretty unheard of, mm. um, but still block that out. And then basically the client calls at whatever time. So Tuesday last week, I got a phone call at uh, 10 to midnight because it was happening. Um, her due date was the 24th of December, but that baby was coming early. Um, so off I went to the hospital and that's that. Yeah. Then when I get to the hospital, that's when the real work starts. Um, and that can be support in, as I say, there's, there's sort of four primary areas. So physical support, that's helping them get into a comfortable position, reminding them to change position when they move around. Um, emotional support can look like uh, positive words, words of affirmation, telling them they're doing so well, and just reassuring them that what their what their decisions are are valid. Um, advocacy comes into that, so it can often happen that uh, doctors come at birth from a very different perspective to a doula. Um, and basically, they have this whole toolkit of very medical stuff that they can do to help, uh, but often feel they kind of rush through the consent part because they're so familiar with, with what they do. Um, it's also middle of the night, and maybe they've got children and husbands and wives and people they want to get back to. So being able to advocate and help them advocate for themselves is, is really important, um, and just making sure that nothing is done to the client. It is all with the client's consent. Yeah. Um, and lastly, informational support. So in the case where someone hasn't done classes with me, then my role is to explain. So the doctor said, okay, listen, we need to look at vacuum extraction. And my client goes, oh, what is that? What are we talking about? What's that gonna look like? Yeah, so my job is to explain that and basically explain it in a very, very unbiased way so that they can make a decision as to whether they are comfortable with that or not. Yeah, even um, I just wanted to ask when you mentioned the doctors and uh, like, how is it working with like the doctors and the nurses? Because I'm, I'm sure you know, like doctors, it's all about, like you said, it's just vacuum extraction from point X to Y and you're a bit confused. So how 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 is it working like with the nurses and the doctors and how how's that experience? So that varies from hospital to hospital, varies from doctor to doctor, of course. Some doctors are really pro what we call physiological birth, really allowing the body to do its thing and really only intervene when it's actually really necessary. So that's great. But we also have this conflict of interest in terms of private medical care. Um, so this doctor's gonna charge you a lot of money. 
yeah. right, yeah. for that service. Whether you push that baby out by yourself or not, they're still charging their many thousands, right? Mm -hmm. So there's also this kind of pressure on them to be worth those many thousands. So this is where I feel that there can be this motivation for doctors to be a little bit too intervention trigger happy as opposed to letting it happen. Mm -hmm. um, there's also this kind of perception, especially here, like if you are in the, in the private medical facility and you can afford to pay for it, why wouldn't you have it? Yeah, right? So there's also this pressure on the hospital to offer this stuff because you have this elevated level of care different story in in our government hospitals where yeah. um it's actually completely opposite it's your women are left too long without intervention so it's it's this kind of yeah two, two sides to to the system oh, yeah. certain hospitals have an absolute blanket policy no doulas um and this is a, a complicated one so there are certain hospitals where i have to tread very carefully there are certain ways to get around that, and that's usually because the practitioner will allow me in. Um, and so the, the client has to tell them as the patient that they want a doula. Um, and there are certain doctors that I know who are pro-doula, but basically that does mean that how far I can push my advocacy and push the physiological aspects, mm. um, there is a limit to that. Yeah. And at any point, I could be asked to leave for absolutely no, no reason. <laughs> Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I'm saying, man, some hospitals are pretty good. I remember when we were at Aga Khan, actually, in, um, where were we, Princess, Princess Zara, and um, we had uh, a doula, and we barely ever saw any of our medical staff. I think we came in twice through the whole birthing process, and the doula was left to it, and the doctor walked up right at the end. That was it. Barely saw anyone. Yeah. I... Just, left yeah. Our own, just left our own devices, I think, you know. You know, we had a lot of faith in the doula, you know, at the time, who was, you know, she's pretty good. So, yeah, we just left to it. And then we put that on the birthing plan as well, like, you know, minimal people coming in. We didn't want it, like, you know, because, you know, sometimes with hospitals, you get people, like, revolving door, like, you know, people coming in every couple of minutes. Right. Checking they want in. to know what you want for your breakfast order, and they've got to come in and clean the toilet every four hours yeah. because that's what's the protocol. And they come in and they slam all the lights on, they slam exactly. the door on. Yeah. <laughs> So that's part of my job as well is communicating with that team, just making sure that like sort of any any extra people don't come in. Um, there are a certain few doulas, um, myself included, who are kind of on a pre-approved list, but the doctors have worked with us or we've been brought in by other doulas, um, as I say, who are then very trusted. The main the main problem really arose when there was a group of midwives who wanted to further their training. Um, and so they did the doula um, labor supports uh, training. Um, and then what would happen is they would be hired as a doula, but they would come into a hospital as a separate consultant. And they found it really tricky to find the line between where their midwifery stopped mm. and their doulaing started. So now you have a situation where you do have someone who is medically trained, potentially doing vaginal exams and saying, right, you're 10 centimeters ready to push or any other, just as an example, any other kind of yeah. uh, medical sort of procedure. Now, if something goes wrong, who's liable? Yeah. Is it the midwife that you've hired as your doula? Is it the hospital? Yeah. Like who, yeah. So this is where it really became a problem because I'm not a midwife and the other two doulas that I know were very much accepted by doctors are also not midwives. So if at any point a doctor is telling me like, this is 
the end of the line. We are talking emergency protocols now. Yeah, like I've done everything I can. I now hand over. So in that sense, we do have a an element of trust between us going. Yeah, and I mean to, I mean yeah to get onto that list. How did you do that? Was that just you know meeting everyone or? Or just through, like like you said, other doulas who, who know you? Yeah. So what we have is a system of doula backup. Um, and that's actually how I've ended up meeting most of my doctors. Is basically, um, so I'm on duty this Christmas, um, or I was. Yeah. I said my client was due for the 24th, so I'd been up for Christmas period, like waiting for her to have her baby. Um, but I was actually on call for another doula uh, who was not available for Christmas. So she said, could you be my backup during this period? So we have this system where if I can't get to a birth, I have a backup who would come in. Mm. And by doing that, then basically that means that she then introduces me, lets the doctor know that my backup is coming in. This is who she is. This is how she's qualified. And essentially you get in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very happy. I've done it twice now where a client, or I don't have any intro, where a client has said, can you come to one of my appointments? You meet the doctor, you talk to them about what your agenda is, how you, you operate. Um, would you would you be willing to do that? Yes, I would absolutely always be willing to do that. Yeah. Okay, so that is something that you do, is that you can go with your clients to their appointment and meet their doctor and, ah, okay, yeah, so that's yeah. great. It's interesting. Usually when we discuss the birth plan, okay. sorry, Liam, cut you off there. No, no, I was just saying, I, I always thought a doula was like a midwife or... I'd say all through my youth till now, and I, I never, I just, I guess I never thought about taking time to tell them apart because I assumed you could deliver, you could do all the, mm-hmm. all the stuff midwives do. So it's, it's, it's quite interesting. This, uh, it's new information for me for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's yeah. yeah so it's great. we, we yeah. have a different bag of tools. Yes, all of our tools are non-medical. Um, and a lot of it is uh, evidence-based as yeah. well. Um, so it would be something as simple as the average midwife and the average doctor is trained, as they have all been trained by older doctors, who were trained by older doctors, who were trained by older doctors, yeah. so on and so forth. And they pass down these, these knowledge and techniques. It's not always necessary that that would be the most up-to-date or mm. the most effective information. Yeah. So one primary example is pushing to deliver on your back. This comes from one of our very pervy European kings, uh, King Louis, I believe it was Louis VIII, who basically wanted to watch his wife give birth. And the best position for that was lying on the bed, legs akimbo, so that he had perfect view. This became the norm in the aristocracy and this became normal medical practice. However, it's often the hardest position to push in because you're not using gravity. It makes sense. You want something to come down and out of your body, yeah. you want gravity. You want your pelvic floor out of the way. I don't know if you've ever tried to pee lying down, but it's the same muscles that need to relax, right? So just think about how hard that would be. This <laughs> is one example, right? Now try push a baby out with your pelvic floor out the way, right? Just your mind-muscle connection is just not there when you're in that position. (laughs) It's also linked with higher rates of tearing. It's linked with slower delivery times. So all of this. But I've actually had a doctor say to me, "Look, very comfortable with you being there. Very comfortable with the with the birth plan. But 
I, I don't know how comfortable I am about this whole idea of, of you know, delivering in a position other than my, my patient lying on, the, on their back. Because I don't know how to catch a baby in any other position. Mm. Yes, and it's so like, of course they don't. That's not how they're trained. Yeah, yeah. So some of this resistance can just be, that's just not what I know how to do. So like, I don't want to do it. But not all of it is necessarily this kind of medical, um, what do you call it, conflict of interest. Some of it's just purely, it's, it's new, it's weird, don't want to do it. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, it's, I guess, yeah, I mean, we, we see a lot of that in our, you know, the health and fitness industry as well. Just a lot of sort of, yeah, sort of advice and, you know, the ways of doing things from ages ago that are just not very relevant now. And it's just... I, I think- I was going to say, I think that I mean, this is what we did. We, we went to one doctor and we weren't happy, um, you know, generally with the doctor. You know, little things like she couldn't remember my name and I was like, you know, a bit, bit rude, you know, paying all this money. So we yeah. then ended up going to a different doctor and he was like super chilled about everything, you know, on the birth plans. Like, originally we were going to birth at home mm. so there's some complications later, like, you know, kind of started coming you know, 30, it took, you know, 28 weeks or 30 weeks or something, and that stopped and percent of issues. So that, that plan went out of the window. But like, he was like fine with that. He's like, yeah, I can pop around to the house when needed. Then it was, you know, yeah, give birth in any position you want. He was like, super chill about it. But we did have to go through, you know, a couple of doctors. Yeah, you know, we were going by recommendations of everyone yeah. else. But it's like, as we always say, you know, you've got to almost meet and, and see if you're yeah, your plans align because, you know, doctors can be very set in their way. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, you know, as we said, you know, laying on the back is also, you know, doctors just, you know, that's what we've always been taught. That's the norm to them. So, you know, why change something that works fine for them? And I think it's, it's just finding someone who's a bit flexible to, to meet you. And that's why it can also help to, you know, maybe... Yeah, seek advice of a doula as well beforehand. I know we had three doulas. We had one for before to do the classes, one on the day, and a backup one. You know, because back then, it's 10 years ago, so in Kenya, so there wasn't like this backup system then. It was a case of, you know, you had your doula, and there was always a risk that they weren't going to be there. So you then had one on standby. And we, you know, we met various doulas and sort of had a little interview. To, uh, like over coffee at art cafe or something and uh, <laughs> decided who was gonna who we were most comfortable with and you know we actually chose a doula with a midwife background for the home birth plan because we thought if it goes wrong at least she, she was german trained so she was a german uh, i think she's in tanzania nowadays but um she um she was trained and we were like so if it all you know she'll know what to do if yeah. it goes wrong at home and you know tell us when to go to hospital finish it so we had a slightly different plan for that um, but yeah and we were very clear on what we wanted to do hypnobirthing so we chose a doula who was who could teach hypnobirthing first for the, the pre pre-birthing plan stuff you know, you know those classes so you know for us it was a case of a bit like finding a trainer you sometimes got to find a trainer that sort of fits with what you want to achieve yeah. and, you know and your your you know your theories and plans but yeah um but yeah it was, it was good. you know we found a great doctor at the end and had a great birth experience even in the hospital originally 
So my ex-wife, Maria, she was like, got really anxious about hospitals, just even going for, for medical appointments. So she really didn't want to go to the hospital and give birth. But in the end, actually, we were left pretty much alone to it. And it was a great experience overall. And, you know, and she was happy. Yeah. You know, at one point she was asking for drugs, but you know, <laughs> I did lie to her because she made me promise that I wouldn't yeah. let her do it. And then, you know, what was it? It's like, yeah, yeah, the doctor's almost here. The doctor's almost here. And only he can say about the drugs. So by the time the doctor actually got there, you know, baby was coming baby out. Was... So it's like, <laughs> Oh, nice right, yeah. This is this is the one time where the Kenyan "I'll be there in five minutes" thing. Yeah, really, yeah. <laughs> exactly. If someone said no drugs under any circumstances, even if I'm howling for them. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, um, I think you bring up some really good points there. You're right. It's like finding a personal trainer. You've got to find the right person who gels with you, who's got an approach that really works for you, who also understands kind of who who'll be able to kind of intuitively pick up on where your limits really are. Um, Claire will know this from training me. I whinge the whole time. I'll keep doing it, but I'm going to whinge the whole time. Uh, Every Bulgarian squat, there was a whinge. Every, like, I mean, it, it, you name it. Yeah. Um, so exactly, you've got to you've got to find the right person. And having the wrong people in your birth space just throws all of it off. Yeah. I mean, it's not just fear of, of birth itself. Hospitals are a pretty tense place. You usually yeah. go in there for a medical emergency, so it feels like birth should be a, a medical emergency if you're going in there. Um, and it's often treated that way, even though it's, it's not necessarily the case. I think there's a sort of need for flexibility, I think, because when you actually, it's not like every plan you make doesn't survive first contact. You know, when you actually, you know, we had, we paid extra to have a birthing pool. She was in it for about two minutes, got out of it, never got back in it. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. And, um, and you know, that's the thing. It's like, you know, so everything was originally set up for a water birth. In the, you know, originally it was going to be a water birth at home and it was going to be a water birth in the hospital. And then it just wasn't a water birth, but that was okay. You know? So right. I do, you know, just rolled with it and, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know it sounds like you were really, really prepared and knew kind of what all your options were. So as you say, like plan A, yeah. the golden plan, kind of had to go on. But well, how can we get as close to that? As you yeah. say, the water birth was supposed to be at home. So can we do that at, at the hospital? And how do we create as much of a home birth feeling in that hospital to make it as calming and as safe as possible? I think we took planning to a, a good level. Initially, I thought this is a bit overkill. Our birth plan looked really quite thick initially. And then we're like, yeah. But then, you know, cheered like a bit of a military plan. It's like, <laughs> that's how, what happens if, you know, that doesn't work, what are we going to do? So we were quite prepared. But and then we were able to give, we took a few copies of the birth plan so we could actually give it to, like, the main midwife on duty. She, in fact, like, she actually read through it and, under, you know, stood, you know, and that's why we were kind of left to it. You know, we read the birth plan and was like, okay, we won't be pretty much left to it and come in only when necessary checks are needed. Because, you know, and just, you know, don't turn all the lights on, keep it quite mellow you know, and everything else. So, yeah, we were, we had a quite a clear idea of what we wanted, well, not what I wanted, what we wanted. And, you know, and I think we found the doula that would support that most. You know, not you know, most do there's a support. It's just one that sort of fitted in, as you said, into our sort of more our personality to personal space because that's a big part of it. It's like you know, you, you're gelling as people anyway. Right. This is a huge 
very vulnerable moment um, for, for both of you, actually, for, for your wife as she's given birth, um, but you as the partner as well. This person is going to be part of a fundamental memory, like milestone memory in your life. Having the wrong person there, yeah. just it's not going to be conducive to the whole situation at all. No, and I, I know like just the other day we were chatting and I was asking you about like different doctors and so same kind of thing, like you just need to find someone like you might recommend someone, but that, you know, you might not get on with them. Um, and well, I guess mo most of our listeners are in Kenya. We could discuss a few of the sort of hospitals and sort of different uh, sort of setups because you said like some places are not, uh, well, I guess not really doula friendly. Is that particular hospitals? Mm -hmm. Which ones are those? So the official policy at Aga Khan is no doulas. Oh. Um, and that is because of this midwife doula blur. Yeah. So mm. I understand where it, where it comes from. Um, but basically, you've got different hospitals have different priorities. And so again, I mean, doctors and nurses and midwives, they all swear that the, the Hippocratic Oath, they're going to do no harm. They don't yeah. mean to do any harm. And as far as they're concerned, they're using their toolkit yeah. as effectively as they have been trained to do, as, as effectively as possible. But you've got to remember that these people also have administrators and bean counters and paper pushers that they've got to answer to. And they've also got a liability aspect as well. So often their best interest is would be to intervene, say, earlier to make sure we don't end up in a really true emergency situation where it really is touch and go. Um, it's tricky to say which ones are more or less doula friendly. Um, I found that it, it varies even from ward to ward. So from the Princess Zara private rooms, I've had a very different experience as a doula to the general ward as well. But again, I've had some experiences that were pretty hostile in the general ward, some that were pretty hostile in the Zara ward, and then the complete opposite as well. Very welcoming, very open, very happy for me to be there. And I think that's very much led by the physician um, who, who you are coming in under. Mm -hmm. And it depends also on their rapport with the hospital staff mm -hmm. as well. Um, so, I mean, you've heard, you, you, I don't know if you know the phrase, like when you buy a car, sometimes you just get one that's got loads of problems built on a Friday. You know, old, yeah. old George who was putting it together just wasn't paying attention. He wanted to go down the pub. This happens in hospitals too, like they're human. Right. Yeah. So it's not necessary that like a hospital is a bad place or like one particular hospital is better over the other. So you've got to pick your people. Um, and as soon as you start doing that and they're on the same wavelength as you, then it starts to really gel. I was going to say, it's probably a lot to do with who's on duty as well, which midwives who are, you know. Some yeah, might feel a bit like a nosy, yeah, well. yeah, I was going to say, some might feel like a nosy part joint by having a doula there. Yeah, others might welcome it you know think oh you know and oh, it's support. i don't yeah, have to do like, my job i'm gonna go off and have a cup of coffee yeah. <laughs> great you sit down if you need me give me a call yeah exactly so you've got people who take different take to doulas differently and also it depends on their understanding of what a doula mm -hmm. is yeah. um whether i'm here to interfere with their job or whether i'm there to really supplement them and really assist them yeah, yeah. so it really depends on, on that and yeah. like, is that some, sorry, is that yeah. something like you go through in your classes with your clients, like talking through the different hospitals and physicians and sort of all those kinds of options as well? So I have a, a checklist um, of, of questions, good questions to ask your doctor, kind of a 10 check questions list. 
Um, but then there's also space for you to add your own specific questions. Um, I won't ever, because my job, my job is not to have an opinion, actually. My job is to give information. So I would never tell a, do a person, oh, don't go with that doctor. Like, mm. um, but I might encourage them quite strongly to ask these questions and then see how they feel with that doctor, uh, just to make sure that they really are comfortable and they, ha they know what they're getting themselves into. Um, as, as of now, I've never actually had to really push for someone to investigate their doctor um, to go in a different direction. Yeah. Um, but the day probably probably will come. Um, and there have been things where I've had to raise the issue with something that they have been told is a major red flag, something that their doctor has said to them is a major mm -hmm. red flag, and talk them through why that would be a major red flag, the information behind it, and what their rights are. Mm. Oh, nice. Any experience with uh, government hospitals? Because I've been in the maternity ward and I did my last year in uni in uh, government hospital. So I, I, I'd like to, <laughs> if you've had any like doula experience in a government hospital. Yes. So during my training, mm. um, I did one birth in the government hospital. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was... Um, I think hard to say yeah. and I don't think that I got the authentic experience and I want to touch on this really lightly yeah. as, as, yeah. as sympathetically as possible but basically because I was in there and because I'm Zungu mm. I think that the care that was given was different um, as opposed to if I had not been there uh, yeah. so I don't think that my experience in the government hospital um, because basically, let's, let's face it, like, we, as Muslims, don't go to government hospitals, generally speaking, mm, right? Cool. So I was a very foreign face there. So I'm aware that my presence, um, my kind Change. of white privilege yeah. influenced that experience. Yeah, yeah interesting, yeah, because it, it is quite the experience if you... Because I, I yeah. did a few months in I there. Mean, I saw some things, don't get me wrong. Yeah. There some things. It, it's, um, but I know that the person that I was with mm. was treated very differently from, say, the other people in the same room mm. because of that. And I, I noted that, and I felt like the room got then a lot more attention, and suddenly, sort of, there were a lot more cleaners coming in, and that's, you know, yeah. there was there was a lot more hustle and bustle than I felt was kind Normal. of the expected <laughs> norm. Yeah. Part was, of my training was also to to interview people who oh, okay, had, okay, yeah. had given birth before what their experiences were. And I deliberately sought out people who could give me experiences from government hospitals and from private hospitals. Yeah. And basically one of these people then asked me to come with them to the government hospital for their second baby. Yeah. And again, also the birth itself may have influenced it because uh, from first contraction to baby being delivered, 45 minutes, which is what we call precipitous birth. This was so quick. Yeah. Wow. So it wasn't like we were there for hours and hours and hours, yeah. and I really got a chance to investigate. Yeah. But from her account of her first birth versus her treatment um, in the second birth, Very we're different. talking night and day. Yeah, it's uh, not to get me wrong, but it, it's 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 just the understaffing and everything. But the guys are amazing, the doctors. But I remember being there. It it reached a point. It's like it's understaffed, so they were happy to have us interns because we could help. And then best place to get experience, because like if I compared with 
I, I did current hospital like a week or two just for comparison for my report. And you see so many different, you know, like in the maternity ward, uh, different births, different conditions and everything. And then in current hospital, I remember in two weeks, I think the worst thing we saw, because I was working on nutrition interventions, and I think it was someone with a flu. So <laughs> if writing the report, it was very different, but it, it, it does give like really, really good experience when you're, when you're on the other side doing your research and everything. But you, when you try imagine the, the people getting the care, it's, it's, uh, it's, it can be tough. Yeah. That's why. Really I, handy. And you, you've also touched on another thing. Mm. I mean, government hospitals certainly are understaffed. Mm. Their staff are underpaid, way overworked. Mm -hmm. But I would also say that is a universal healthcare issue. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the UK are facing massive NHS strikes right now. I think yeah. today well, is the right, day. Today. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> today the ambulances are on strike. I think yesterday it was the midwives or the day before, you know, um, before that was the nurses. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. they've all got universally the same complaints and yeah, that's something else true. to remember about all hospitals yeah, they are yeah. all underpaid overworked and understaffed all of them universally it doesn't although, matter although I, yesterday i got pretty good yesterday day before I got pretty good emergency dental care they ripped the tooth out within a couple of hours of phoning up i had the tooth removed all oh, nice. via the nhs it's great yeah. Well, well, yeah. Dentists are striking next week, I think. Yeah, so, yeah the hospital looked a bit quiet, though. The hospital looked a bit quiet, but it was all good. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. take too many people to rip a tooth out. Um, but yeah, no, um, I think, you know, with any sort of government hospital, as you said, there's you know, lack of resources in every sense of the word. And, you know, and when people are threadbare, you are going to get a different level of service. And that's as simple as that. You know, it's one of the things the nurses here in the UK are striking about. It's not just about pay. Mm. It's about everything. No. It's, you know, it's a level of pay they're getting for the amount of work they're having to do yeah. to fill the holes of, uh, of a certain of the system. On the back of the three-year three pandemic, yeah. how many years have we been doing this? Yeah. 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 Um, which was grueling and unforgiving for them. Um, and it's no different in Kenya. You know, pandemic, yeah. in Kenya, hospitals were overstaffed, uh, understaffed, uh, over overpopulated with you know patients mm -hmm. and you know something's got yeah. to give and sometimes it's a level of care sadly you know yeah. and somewhere in maternity and, 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 yeah there is always someone whose agenda completely directly contradicts that as well mm. because you have the the administrators and you've got the the bean counters as well the accountants yeah and their job is to make sure that that as a facility government or otherwise is solvent that they have money to yeah. buy gauze yeah. and hypodermic needles and you scrubs, right? Whereas, you know, but they also need to be paid. And like with any job, if you're not being compensated fairly, if your hours aren't fair, if you're mm. facing burnout, which I, I was, yeah, right? It doesn't matter what industry you're in. Mm -hmm. yeah. You can't perform at your very best. No, you can't. And how does it work with home births? <laughs> I was going to ask the same. <laughs> so, I mean, like, you're there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know how the home births scene works here. So there are a handful of midwives um, who are comfortable performing home births. And so basically I work with them. Um, I have yet to do a home birth. Um, my, I had one booked earlier this year that fell through. Basically, baby came early. Um, another client from Tanzania. So she was supposed to come up to Nairobi just to be near Aga Khan if, if needed. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but uh, yeah, baby had other plans. <laughs> so she ended up delivering in, in, uh, in Arusha. But um, basically how it would work is that we would establish what a safe protocol would be. So that's in terms of if we needed to go to the hospitals, what are our criteria? Mm. And also what's our timeline on that? As you and I both know, Nairobi traffic, <laughs> three o'clock in the oh, morning. Yeah. I can get to Aga Khan in about 15 minutes, and that's not even really pushing it. It's that close. Yeah. We drove, we drove various times of the day to measure the distance, like how long it would take. Like, seriously, like morning, a, did it during rush hour, yeah. off, yeah. off, off peak times. Yeah. We were quite lucky. We, at that time, we lived in Roslyn Lone Tree Estate, so, uh, yeah. so it wasn't far. But even though that road during the rush hour could take you almost an hour to get to Aga Khan. So like, okay, yeah, and so... Yeah, So say from Karen, I mean, you're looking at what? Two hours? Easily, realistically, two yeah. hours? That might be on a good day. Yeah. Could be four hours. I mean, if it starts raining, we could be there all night, right? <laughs> True. <laughs> so, uh, you know, what are, what are our safety mm. protocols, basically? And um, if we started to feel like mum wasn't coping or baby wasn't coping, because they do come with, the midwife comes with a monitor, mm. Um, and often a birth pool as well. So we're monitoring mom, we're monitoring baby, we're keeping an eye on everything. But now if, if things are starting to just take a little bit too long and people are starting to get a bit stressed out and maybe baby's not quite happy and we're not feeling great about the situation and say it's three o'clock in the afternoon, are we gonna pull the plug now early, possibly too early, like possibly everything is gonna be fine and maybe we need another two hours to see if everything works itself out, but in two hours it's going to be 5 p.m. And we are not going to get to our in time if then, at that point, we decide to pull the plug. So that's usually our first protocol. Mm -hmm. Then after that, it's pretty much what you would probably imagine, is um, it's quiet, you have your dogs around, you have your other children around if you have them, you have mm -hmm. uh, your other half, um, you put some music on, and you have your doula and your midwife, just quietly giving support when needed. The easiest part of birth is it's the beginning part. You don't really need us there. Um, we're there to make sure that you are hydrating, that you are having to pee often enough because uh, you want all the space you can get in your pelvic area, basically. No full bladders here. Mm. Um, we're making sure that no one's disturbing. We're screening any calls. We're doing any admin that you need. Then as it gets more intense, then we're helping you get into comfortable positions. We're helping you with your TENS machine if you're using one. We're helping you change position um, as needed, because now this is getting hard work. Um, as I say, midwife is primarily monitoring mum and baby. I'm primarily on the support aspect. And then as we get to go time, that transition phase where baby is actually born, that's where it's all hands on deck. And it's pretty much the same as, as in a hospital, mm. but just home yeah yeah no interesting i know our neighbor wanted a home birth but it didn't work out but i think because of her insurance policy like an ambulance had to be on standby um outside so it's i guess yeah it all depends on your insurance policy See, our insurance didn't that. cover it because we've been with a policy not enough time because the work changed their policy provider because oh, we had a, we'd only been on them less than a year, like I think by the time she was, uh, you know, test, you know, uh, pregnant, yeah. it was like six months. He said you've got to be over a year and a day or something from, from uh, you know, the first day. 
So it's fine, just paid for it out of pocket, but yeah. you know, it's one of those things where first it gave us a bit of flexibility though about how we did do things. Yeah. You know, we're like, I'll do it at home, do it yeah. hospital, you know. Yeah. In the end, it's funny, as as fell through as well, but you know, due to obviously yeah. kind of trying to come early, then not coming early enough because the placenta was insufficient. Yeah. It was all a bit chaotic in the end. But uh, the birth went well. But yeah, home birth is something we were really keen for just because it's nice to be able to control your environment completely. Yeah. And if you've got right. some, and, you know, some bad. Home, home is your safest place. Yeah. Um, so it's it's the most conducive place yeah. to give birth. And basically, you've got, um, you'll know a little about this, you've got adrenaline, you've got oxytocin. And adrenaline and oxytocin are directly in conflict. So in birth, you want massive amounts of oxytocin. Um, the love drugs you need to feel as loved and as safe and as calm as possible you want to minimize your adrenaline home is often that safe place and oxytocin is responsible for the whole process every contraction all of it so the higher those levels are the better and you can often get a better basically a better flow going Mm -hmm. at home so short of being able to do a home birth i try and make the hospital experience as close to a home birth experience as possible yeah. it's turning off lights it's putting on fairy lights it's picking out tunes it's uh helping my client just to say no thanks i don't want the hospital gown because it's itchy and me yeah. um i'm gonna stay in my t-shirt or whatever yeah, yeah. just um yeah. comfy socks yeah yeah uh going in with like a, a spray that um smells good for them because let's face it hospitals smell manky mm. they just smell a disinfectant yeah. and sanitizer and it, yeah yeah yeah. So it's all of this, which is so much easier to do at home. I guess uh, it might be time for me to buy a notebook because between you and Andy, it looks like it, it's like some um, some mercenary mission you have to, you know, like no, drive this across is fine. town. This is what you're comfortable <laughs> with, I think. Yeah, it's good yeah. to be prepared. Like it's, it's, yeah, it is. It's, it's showing like that, that preparedness is... It's I just what you, you need to... If you can alleviate stress, yeah, not exactly. for a woman, being pregnant is stressful yeah. it gets on the body, everything else. So if you can just try to alleviate some of that stress with good planning... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's perfect. Well, that's where I think, you know, having a doula is amazing. Like, those things you wouldn't necessarily think, think about, about like, yeah. oh, you don't have to wear that hospital gown or, you know, yeah, making true. the room nice. Exactly. And I think just so important to have someone who knows what you want and to just advocate for you when you're a little bit out of it i think that's key right um i mean laboring women are not available they're busy mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> don't be asking them stupid questions like what they want for breakfast yeah. like that's where partners and doulas can be really really effective and also really important to note that doulas do not in any way take the place of a partner no, in fact studies say, have mm-hmm. shown that that births where a doula is present, uh, partners just specifically feel way more supported. They feel more in control. I mean, we've all seen the movie scene where, like, wife starts going into labor and she's calm, she's there with her suitcase, she's like, yeah, this is happening. And husband's going, oh my God, don't panic, let's exactly. the bags and have we looked and we've got the food and have we put fuel in the car and what's the quickest way to the hospital? Oh my God. There's a lot less of that, basically. <laughs> And when things start to get tougher, then, I mean, this is this is your person, right? This is the person you've decided to bring a baby into the world with. But it's not like you can push for them, right? So you're kind of essentially powerless. 
Um, and primarily in Kenya, it's going to be men, so we're talking husbands and, and boyfriends and partners. Um, but basically, you feel like you want to do something, and you just don't know what to do because this is a whole new realm. And like the doctor says, we should do something. Well, then okay, let's. let's yeah, do something. exactly. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, as a yeah, as a partner, you kind of rabbit caught in the headlights because especially with your you know first child, yeah, you, know, you don't know anything. Yeah, you know, it's not. You want to do the best thing. But it's all new, and the thing is, having a doodle for us, it meant you know I could just concentrate on offering emotional support True. and not have to worry about everything else. Yeah. Bingo! It actually means that you are more present in the birth, and not less so. Yeah, yeah. no, I think that's what well, I think. You know, just having a doula is amazing on so many levels. You know, all the way from when you said like the first twelve weeks, like. As personal trainers, we generally know when the clients are, ple- are pregnant because they have to tell us. But it can be such a hard time. And like you say, just to be able to share with someone, you know, like a doula, I think it's really just great to have that option. And I mean, talking with so many of my clients, they just don't know that, that there are those kinds of options out there. Yeah, and yeah. how great it is to have a doula on your team, like to talk through your plan. You know so much about the different hospitals, the physicians, um, and just... Yeah, just to offer all those options and just, you know, knowledge is always empowering when you know what's going to kind of happen. You know, you don't need to be afraid of it. You know, this is how you can prepare for it. And knowing you've got someone there to support you, I think is just, yeah, well, I just think what you do is is great. And, um, you know, such a such a wonderful, just such a wonderful, I think, such a wonderful person to have on your on your team. Yeah, yeah, big time. Because I'm just... Yeah, I'm just trying to think. Not, not too many, because too many people just not doctor. So I guess it's it's always nice to have someone else you can get an, a different opinion, and and just right. chill yeah. you out, so to speak. Like well, who knows what make you it want. an experience. Yeah. yeah. Doctor has said they would like to talk induction at 38 weeks. Yeah. What does that even mean? Yeah. Like, um, what are my risks? What are my benefits? I don't know. And yeah. and it's like you say, they have their protocol on how things they do things so mm-hmm. i guess it's nice to have a doula to just take away the stress and also just just let you know you can you can think about it it's it's not if it's your first child you've got no point of reference mm. you've got no you know it's literally and if you look online you know there's a million <laughs> yeah. conflicting oh yeah points. the rabbit hole so it's like, <laughs> No, and I think it's something I always, my mum said to me, she said it was easier with her day, you just listen to what your mum told you. She yeah. had given birth before, and there was no Google, so you just took advice from your mum and you gave birth in the way which, you know, pretty much she had given birth. Yeah. But now yeah. it's like you've got more options, which is better, but also it can be a bit more confusing. Yeah, so but... it's nice to have someone there that you can run your ideas through and, and decide what fits best for you. Yeah, like, I'm just thinking yeah. my... Say my parents grew up in the rural areas. There was, you're not driving 30 minutes or two hours to Nairobi Hospital. So it's it's just information passed down from great grandparents to wise yeah. women. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. And then yeah, there were yeah. those specific women who dealt with that. So yeah, which we just don't have now. I mean, <laughs> and that's where yeah, yeah I that's doulas. the doulas. That's where doulas fill that hole. It's like yeah. Yeah. yeah, village elders. Big time. Yeah. yeah. Were essentially doulas of the time because they've been there for multiple births. Yeah, yeah because I, I know that for them it was like bad roads and um, like the nearest hospital is 
in town which is two three two maybe hours away and no one has a car it's just like yeah so it's yeah. it's just do you really want to be in a car what's your laboring yeah. <laughs> on a bumpy road i mean yeah yeah it's, it sounds it's, like a risky game it, yeah, it's it's, a risky it's, game today. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly yeah. and it's only only two or three generations back um, yeah where everyone was born at home yeah in fact yeah. going to the hospital was really really rare it's still a lot more, as you say, rurally in Kenya. Those babies are born in yeah. shags in the, in the middle of nowhere. We're mm-hmm. not in a hospital. True, um, true. Whereas now it's been very commercialized and very medicalized. And like I said earlier, there is this kind of perception, well, if you've got it, why wouldn't you use it? If you mm. can afford it, why wouldn't you pay for it? Yeah. Yeah. No, so interesting. It's been such a great conversation, by. So how can people contact you? You can look me up on Instagram. Um, I'm the, the Safari Doula. Uh, you can jump on my website, also the safaridoula.co.ke. Um, and you can find all my contacts there. I have a little contact form so people can reach out and just have a consultation call, totally no obligations, um, and go from there. Those are the two best ways to get hold of me. Perfect. Well, I'll put those in our show notes if people want to contact you. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I don't know, gents, have you got any final no. questions? No, no, not. Nothing well, I can think of now. I think it's just an opportunity for people to, to actually have a listen and think about, you know, things can be different. You don't have to just follow, but, you know, tradition. It's good to have someone to bounce your ideas off and discuss right. with you have, you have options and you have rights mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i highlight that options and rights and yeah again especially if it's your first child you just don't you just don't know so much it's a whole new world so having someone like you to guide you through i think is just incredible and i hope the rest of your pregnancy goes well and yeah. it uh your yeah. birthing experience is amazing well we will definitely be in touch uh, yeah. before then um but yeah thanks so much for coming on Vari. i don't know if you have any parting words um no just uh i'll send you a link to a really interesting um all evidence-based um sort of informational on doulas okay. it just breaks down what the what the benefits are and it actually has some really interesting statistics which we you know i was going to try and bring them in if we had time um but basically we we have evidence to support that doulas are actually really really effective and this article just kind of breaks it down in a really nice way um so i'll send you that link for anyone who wants any more information about it perfect yeah no that sounds amazing well thanks again Vari, and um yeah hopefully we'll see you in the new year yeah see you in the new year